Okay, thank you. Good morning. Good to see you today. Uh, I made your pastor sick, I guess. Uh, we had dinner last night, and then he, not feeling well today, pray for him, and that he may be tuning in this morning. Appreciate the invitation. If you will, take your Bible this morning and ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And before we get to our session and uh, this first time slot, just want to kind of give you an overview of our ministry and then the weekend, kind of what our schedule is going to look like. Um, so as uh, was mentioned, um, we pastor a church that we started back in 2009 in Worcester, Ohio. So if you're in the area, say Worcester, not Wooster. I mean, they will, they will cringe, okay? Trust me on this. Um, it's phonetically, it probably should be Wooster, but uh, we say Worcester. So if you've ever been in Amish country, Ohio, we'd be on kind of the northern edge of that. We're the big city. Uh, you will see big old vans with trailers and the Amish coming in to shop at Walmart. In fact, my father-in-law, he's, we call him a Yoder toter. He transports uh, our Amish uh, friends in the neighborhood, and uh, so we're grateful to be from that area. So this feels like home. This actually feels more rural than where I'm from, and uh, just a joy to be with you this weekend. But uh, we also serve uh, with Inspire Counseling Ministries, and uh, the kind of the premise of that is the Bible is inspired, right? So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And then if you look at the end of that text there, uh, Paul says to Timothy, it's profitable um, to make the man of God perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so we're going to kind of talk about how the Word of God, it's kind of God has breathed out His Word, and then we breathe it in. We, we drive from it life and nutrients and strength and hope. So that's kind of the spirit of our weekend. Uh, if you would ask me what is a wellness weekend, because I think this is the first one that you've hosted here um, it's basically twofold. One, uh, to address from the scripture um, anything that maybe is going on in our heart and life where there's unhealth. Um, and I have found in these kind of settings, typically those who most probably need to hear the content will not be here this weekend. Um, it's probably a family member that you know who's battling anxiety, depression, some other challenge in their life. Um, and so there's that component of it as well. First, am I in a good place? And then secondly, what do I need to gain and glean that I can give and encourage others with? Um, and then the second thing is it's preventative. Uh, we have like wellness visits, right, um, where you go to your doctor, nothing's wrong, you're just doing a checkup. I'm now into my mid-40s, and there are new things I have to enjoy moving forward in those wellness uh, checkups, as we all do. So it's also that. Uh, you being here today does not mean that you're about to go down in flames emotionally, uh, or relationally. Uh, in fact, you making this a priority is also preventative in nature. So I hope you kind of view it from those two sides. First, is there something that is a crisis or a concern that needs to be addressed? And then secondly, what do I do to keep myself in a good place to avoid some of these issues that come emotionally, physically, spiritually, etc.? Um, and so just ask you this weekend to pray that God will help us to identify those things and to encourage you to be a part of that in any way that the Lord leads you. So here's kind of how we're going to study through the weekend after talking with your pastor about kind of um, things that you guys are navigating as a church, and then many of you filled out the Wellness Weekend survey that really helped me get a sense of the pulse of your church and things you're navigating. So we're going to start this morning by looking at incremental stress, um, not crisis-level kind of things, and then uh, just how we process the day-to-day grind of life. Our second session, after we take a brief break, will be on depression and decisions we need to make in light of depression, tendencies we may have or others have. 
Then tomorrow, uh, your pastor and I, uh, Lord willing, he'll be feeling better tomorrow. We're going to do a Q&A during the Sunday school hour, um, and uh, that'll be a very give and take. We'll field some of the questions that you submitted ahead of time. Also, if there's things that today's sessions prompt, um, I'll try to <laughs> save a few minutes at the end of each of our sessions to maybe talk through those a little bit. So what I encourage you to do, with your, does everybody have a handout, by the way? Anybody need one? So on your handout, maybe just write down if something comes to your mind. Hey, would you double back and just maybe give some perspective on this specific situation? If you need to, quote, ask for a friend, and we all know it's really you, you can do that as well, whatever makes you feel safe today. But I uh, encourage you to, to be processing that and then feel free to ask questions. But if we don't get to it today, we'll hopefully have some time tomorrow to, um, to address those uh, questions as well. And then in the morning service, which is obviously the morning service where it'll be a little more preaching in its tone, but we're going to talk about the gospel in anxiety. It will be in Philippians chapter 4, a rich text that both speaks to the needs we have on an emotional level as well as our deeper need on a soul level. And so we'll be doing that in the morning. And then we'll end tomorrow night talking about burnout. So we're kind of hitting all the, I don't know if it's the high points or the low points emotionally, talking about stress, depression, anxiety, burnout. We'll try to hit at least a summary of each of those subjects over this weekend we have together. So we're going to start today in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, or I'm sorry, chapter 11, and we're looking at incremental stress. Um, I was reading a study the other day that said this. um, This is according to the American Institute of Stress. I didn't know there was such an organization until recently. But according to the American Institute of Stress, listen to this, 77% of Americans regularly experience physical symptoms caused by stress. Um, And the article was talking specifically about how it impacts our sleep. Um, So you have issues that may stem from originally sleep deprivation, but that lack of sleep is the result of something deeper, which is often a wrong way of processing stress. Um, So there are a lot of stress-related symptoms that we navigate. Um, The same study that talked about this 77% struggle with stress, 48% of people lie awake at night, have difficulty sleeping because of stress. So think about this. On the road you drove in today, half the people in the cars around you are sleep-deprived, that were sleep-deprived. Sleeplessness and, and the struggles with stress often affect us. And one of the questions I often ask in my counseling, so I do these wellness weekends once a month as a pastor. I travel maybe twice a month if it's a busy season. And then I counsel both folks in our community. I counsel ministry leaders. And the first question that I always ask them is, how are you sleeping? And if a counselee has not slept in a week, there's nothing I'm going to do to help them. You ever been without sleep for a few days? You're not even able to think straight, let alone process new information. So there are, there are often tears to it, but stress resolution is often a root issue of a lot of other health maladies. I'm talking physically, emotionally, psychologically, even spiritually. If I'm counseling someone who has a spiritual issue, we cannot address that spiritual issue until we first deal with the body, getting it at least in a better rhythm. So that's a key part of our stewardship is we have to identify physical things that often feed or undercut us in areas of struggle. So that's kind of where we're going to head today is, first of all, this idea of incremental stress. So look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and everything we talk about will be clinically informed, but will be submitted to the authority of God's word. It's sufficient, right? 
Um, 2 Peter 1.3 says that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the Word of God is sufficient. So let's look at what the Word has to say about incremental stress. Verse 28, so Paul lists a bunch of things that he's struggled with, he's been burdened by, he's even been persecuted in. And he lists all these things like being stoned, being shipwrecked, robbers, you know, all these things, perils, weariness, painfulness. And then notice in verse 28, he says this, besides now those things that are without. So those are the things going outside of his body, outside of the churches, threats, pressures, stresses that are coming his way. He says, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Notice that little phrase there, the things that come upon me daily. And I think if you read this text with an open mind and you're, you're letting just what Paul's saying speak, he's building. He, it's, there's this, and then here's the more intense stress, then here's the more intense source of stress. And he ends by saying that the most stressful part of his life on a regular basis is not being shipwrecked, stoned. It's the daily grind of ministry. And I would ask you this question as we begin today, what church is he writing to here? the church in Corinth, right? A church that was a regular source of, I would submit to you, probably frustration uh, as he kept writing to them and challenging them and confronting them. And so it was the daily grind of life um, that caused him the most stress. Um, I don't know if you have Amazon Prime or not. We do as a family. We have one account. We're a bunch of cheapskates. And so I have two teenage sons, junior and sophomore in high school, and my wife, Heidi, and so, we, you know, the save for later feature, you know, where like you can, you don't want to buy it, but you just save it. And then because you want to buy something, you move it from your cart into that bin. Um, somebody was joking about, you know, if you do that long enough, he said, my save for later cart on Amazon is up to $1.2 million. Okay. <laughs> just, I just keep adding things to it. Isn't that kind of how life is? Like if I were to ask you today, what's stressing you out? Um, you may actually have to think about it because it's not one big hairy issue. It's just a lot of little things that reach critical mass. And I think a lot of our stress resolution issues are not because of some big traumatic thing or burden that's really big. It could be that today, but it's just the little things that start piling up. Um, And so we need to learn how to process those in a way that's more healthy uh, for the honor and the glory of the Lord. And one of the things I have noticed is when we are stressed, we tend to lose proper perspective. Have you noticed that? They feel bigger, they seem bigger, uh, whatever the issue may be. And so we start allowing that to affect us. So there are two types of stress, and I don't want to go into great technical detail today, but you have um, two types of stress. Um, One that would be crisis-level stress. What we're talking about today is clinically what is called complex stress. So it would be, we've heard of PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and we have time to open that, you know, discussion of what that is, its validity or its invalidity. But we're talking about CTS, complex stress, and uh, how we process that. We've got to ask God for his help uh, as we deal with that. So this would be long-term exposure to small little things that burden us down in a progressive, increasing manner. So let's talk about two perspectives. 
What do we do to make sure that we don't get skewed in our thinking when we get stressed in life? And this is something that we can all work on and help others in as well. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes about perspective when we feel weak. Perspective when we feel weak. Um, any of you noticed I'm wearing glasses today, and a lot of you are as well. We're the good-looking luck- ones, or at least we'd like to think we are today of the group. Some of you are closet. You have contacts. You know, you're pretending your eyes are better than they are. Um, but have you ever, have you worried about your eyes? Like, I, 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 my prescription keeps going up. Have you guys noticed this? And then you add bifocals, and, and you have, you know, all kinds of issues that come with your eyes. And somebody was saying this, it's actually nature's way of protecting you, or God's way, I guess would be the way I would say it, because that way you're not as jarred when you see your reflection in some mirror, right? You look better than, you think you look better than you actually do, okay? Um, When we are stressed, when we are emotionally oriented, listen, it tends to skew our perspective. And when we are weak emotionally, we tend to view things in a way that is inaccurate. And the best analogy I've ever heard would be this, you cannot accurately see your reflection in boiling water. So like if I'm looking at a pan of water that's boiling, what I see in that water surface is not an accurate perspective of my face. And the same is true in stressful seasons. Uh, We tend to, when we're weak, to not see things the way God sees them. So let's talk about a couple things that Paul addresses here at the end of chapter 11, and then we'll go to chapter 12 and talk about what really is the heart of our study today. So I gave you a few subpoints here. This is just to help you track with me today. Some of this is not on the slides today, but this helps you take notes and maybe apply it where God gives you application. Number one, jot this down. Biblically process weakness that leaves you overwhelmed. So the first area of when we get stressed where our weakness manifests itself is we start to feel, oh my goodness, there's just so much in life and there's all of this stuff. And, and so we get overwhelmed with the things that we're navigating. Paul here talks about two areas that he felt overwhelmed. First of all, number one, jot this down, he felt overwhelmed in his ministry. Um, He talks about all these things he struggled with, and then he says, besides all this, the daily burden of the ministry. Um, And so Paul here talks about the climax of his suffering is not the shipwreck or the stoning. If I was writing out uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I would not, until I started pastoring, put verse 28 at the end. But now that I've been in ministry for a few years, I'm not been as long as, as some, the more I can understand what Paul's saying here. The crisis is just a moment, but it's the grind. Um, even this weekend, my prayer is I can be a blessing and encouragement to your pastor and his wife. Those who serve in ministry, they face a lot of pressures and stresses. And, and, and so Paul here alludes to that in verse 28. Uh, going to verse 29, he talks about what this was, who is weak and I am not weak who is offended and I burn not. He explains why he felt so burdened by the church, because whatever they felt, he felt. If they were burdened, he felt burdened. If um, if they were struggling, he also would feel the brunt of that. Um, I'll just say this, and I know this is true of your church, but if your church has the same pastor that it had pre-COVID, no matter what else has happened in your church, that's a win. Um, Those who have led and served in churches these last three years have gone through a lot. Um, And that's always true in ministry. And so you see this sense of being overwhelmed that Paul feels here in verse 28 and 29. 
Uh, And then in verses 30 to uh, 33, he talks about some of his low moments in ministry. And there's a story he references at the end of chapter 11 um, that's recorded for us in the book of Acts where he has to be let out of Damascus by a basket. Do you remember the story? He's not leaving with a parade. He's not leaving with respect. He is running out of town. And so this this moment of embarrassment, this moment of humbling that was a part of his earthly ministry. So number two, jot this down, he was overwhelmed in resistance. So he, he often faced pushback as he would do the ministry that God had called him to. Um, you ever heard this statement before, God will never give you more than you can handle? Um, every time I hear that, I cringe because then the question is, where is that in the Bible? <laughs> What, give me the chapter and verse on that. God will never give you more than emphasis on you can handle. I would submit to you the ministry is a constant rejection of that mantra. Ministry is constantly God's giving me more than I can on my own handle. Um, and so you who serve in this church, you who serve out of this church, uh, we have to be careful that we don't allow that sense of being overwhelmed with the ministry to skew our perspective to doubt who God is, what he said, what that means for my life and ministry. And so Paul here is just processing out loud the things um, that he was facing. Um, And on the resistance front, um, if you've traveled much at all, um, traveling is not as glamorous as some would think it is, okay? Um, I was just crammed on a plane going to Chile just a month or so ago, um, and the turbulence was really bad. I started the week without a night's sleep at all and just trying to process that. uh, my wife and I just a few months ago. You're, I'm staying with the pastor's uh, parents, and they've been very hospitable. Uh, but we were in a hotel where all night it sounded like two grown men wrestling above us. And so we called the front desk after it got really. I mean, we got things like this today. The next morning, and we end up switching rooms, and then we had noisy people next to us. There it was just a long night. Resistance, right? That's just part of life, let alone when we're trying to do ministry. And so we need God's help to not lose the right perspective uh, in those moments. Any work in our fallen world will involve stress, let alone when we're doing ministry and we have spiritual resistance. And Paul here talks about this resistance and how God had to help him process that properly. Serving God is about being a part of something that's bigger than self, hence the reason it can be so overwhelming. Hence the reason we need God to help us to process the stress in a way that pleases him. All right, now go to chapter 12 as we work our way toward verse 9, which is really the key verse this this morning. But look, if you will, first at verse 3. So Paul says this. So he talks about one of his lows. He was run out of Damascus and all that went with that. And notice now in verse 3, he says, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which are not lawful for man to utter. Number two, let's talk for a minute about processing biblically. Number two, biblically process weakness that leaves you humbled. So our stress that produces the sense of being overwhelmed, uh, it it also produces in us a sense of being humbled. Um, Guys, you can pull up the next picture there. and uh, I think it's safe to show this picture in this neck of the woods. Some places might be offended by this picture. But the caption for this picture was, this is how most people in other countries think Americans wake up and eat breakfast in the morning, okay? Pound of bacon, some fried eggs and toast, and then, you know, guns sitting to the right. 
um, project, yeah, projecting strength, right? We like to project strength. What often is the motivation behind looking strong? It's not just looking strong, it's there's pride there, right? And here's what I have found that's often the struggle in our stressful seasons is stress confronts our pride. It confronts our self-sufficiency. And so it's not just the stress, it's our chafing under it. It's our resenting of it that I feel weak, I feel vulnerable, I don't have it all together, often takes us in an unhealthy direction. So here's the key today. God often, listen to me, he allows incremental stressors to humble us. Have you thought about the stress in your life that you, you didn't make a dumb decision, you're not being carnal or sinful, but the stresses that are happening in your life, isn't God using all things to work together for his purpose and his plan in our lives, including the stress? And one of the things he's doing with stress is he's trying to humble us uh, with how we feel in that situation. And here's our only two responses. We can be humble or we can be embittered by it. And often the deadly combination of stress plus our pride produces in our hearts great bitterness. So here Paul talks about two areas that God was using in his life to humble him. First of all, humbled in his gifting. And he talks about these things God did. When he says, I knew a man, he's talking about whom? Himself, right? Likely. Um, He's speaking autobiographically. He's referring to himself. He says, I knew a man, look at verse 4, who was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words. He got a vision of heaven itself. We don't know all that was involved in that. But to Paul here said, God gifted him, gave him this tremendous opportunity. So he moves from the most humiliating thing at the end of chapter 11 to now one of the things that could have easily fed his pride in chapter number 12. Um, And we know this happened likely about 14 years prior um, from other references in Scripture. And Paul here boasts in what God allowed him to experience. Um, Do you remember the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 where Paul says, that our light affliction, so he's talking about the things we deal with, the day-to-day grind of life, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding uh, and eternal weight of glory. You think maybe he was thinking about what he saw that he's kind of alluding to here? Um, And so Paul had in his mind what he had seen. He had been gifted and privileged to go into this place and to see what God had revealed to him and yet God wouldn't let him talk about it. He wouldn't let him share it with those specifically that were around him. And in verse 5, he goes on to say, If such an one will I glory, yet not in myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. He says that again. For though I would desire to glory, I should not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth me to be. Can you imagine knowing what Paul knew and yet not being able to share it? And kind of the, the imposter syndrome that could have produced, okay, Paul, we hear you saying you did that, but why can't you share with us? Uh, and so even his gifts, there were some, some humbleness that God attached to that gifting that he had given to Paul. All right, now let's get to the key part of our scripture today. Look at verse 7. So he goes on and says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. He's talking back to what he just said. Here's now the incremental stress. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. 
Number two, now we move to really the heart of our study today. Notice Paul was not only humbled in his gifting, he was humbled in his limitations. God limited Paul's abilities. He gave him or he allowed this thorn in the flesh. Um, I don't know if any of you out there had to have coffee this morning, and by had, I mean for the sake of the rest of us, our safety and the social interactions we would have today. Um, I, I need coffee. In fact, today I had it in a John Wayne mug, okay? So I knew that the picture I just showed, I was safe to show that, okay? A um, friend of mine was talking about he's trying to quit drinking coffee. Have you ever tried this? And the world is just a very sour place when you've tried this. He said this, I've been working hard on my diet and have discovered this fact. Removing caffeine from your diet eliminates 70% of your will to live, okay? Like, what's the point? Um, maybe it's healthier in some ways. Um, limited uh, without that. You know, one of the things that happens with stress is it starts to restrict things. It begins to limit us in ways that we often chafe under, we resent that even God has chosen for us. Now, let's talk for just a minute about what is the thorn in the flesh. What do we think Paul is referring to here in verse number 7? He refers to this thorn in the flesh. Now, the word thorn that's found here is not in the original is not referring to a small little pinprick. This was a large, excruciating kind of thing. In fact, in the language, it has the idea of a spear thrust. This was not a small, like when, we th- when I think of thorn, I think of my grandmother's rose garden and accidentally brushing up against a little thorn. This was, this was bone jarring. This was soul penetrating uh, kind of pain and struggle that Paul uh, was dealing with. But what is he specifically referring to? The best guess that I can come up with, having studied it out and thought on it and prayed on it, is it may have involved his eyesight. Um, and I give you just a few maybe things that would undergird that premise or would maybe support that. Remember in Acts chapter 9, when he is converted on the road to Damascus, what happens to him physically when he sees Jesus Christ or hears from him? It does what to his eyes? It blinds him, right? And you have Ananias comes who kind of, hey, brother Saul, and, and he, he reconciles him. The scales fall from his eyes. But it's possible that some of those, that blindness, or at least the effects of that lingered into his, uh, his apostle ministry. Um, in chapter 4 of Galatians, as well as chapter 6, he talks about, you see the large letters um, that I've written this section of Scripture with. Um, and so it suggests that possibly this was his weakness, this was his thorn uh, in the flesh. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Visualize Paul instead of me speaking, which would be much more of an event this weekend than it is. Um, but imagine seeing Paul come and share even from some of the books that he wrote. He wrote the lion's share of the New Testament on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and yet he would not read it to us this morning. Can you imagine being a part of bringing into time and space God's word forever settled in heaven and not being able to read it with your own eyes, uh, not being able to even see what was just written by the scribe that's helping you and aiding you. Can you imagine the frustration of that? Um, and so if this is the burden that he was facing, it wasn't that he was in a constant sense of physical pain. It was just that gnawing, nipping at his heels kind of stressor that hindered him and, and kept him back from doing and experiencing everything that he desired. So I think we see here uh, that Paul is alluding to possibly his eyesight. 
Now, notice how he describes it. Where does it find its origins? He says that it was the messenger of whom? Satan. Um, And so I think Satan was trying to use this to discourage Paul, to stress Paul out. And yet notice how God redeems it at the end of verse number 7. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, here it is, Paul recognizes the divine purpose, lest I should be exalted above measure. So what Satan had meant to use to stress and to bother Paul with, God who is greater than Satan, strive to use it to humble him. To humble him. One writer said this, being tormented by a messenger of Satan is better than being ruined by pride. And I think some of our stress in our life, if we're totally honest, we would rather be done with the stress and miss out on what God can do through that stress. We'd rather just tap out in our pride and our self-sufficiency and our desire to just be free of the thing, we would rather have that than to experience what God could do. All right, I want to give you a key statement. Would you jot this down today? If you get nothing else out of this session, I think this will help you with your incremental stress. Much of the incremental stress in our lives is not the result of the thorn itself. All right, I'll repeat this a couple of times. I would write this down. Much of the incremental stress in our lives is not the result of the thorn itself. Much of the incremental stress in our lives is not the result of the thorn itself, but our unwillingness to humbly submit to its spiritual purpose. This is so key today. Much of the incremental stress in our lives is not the result of the thorn itself, but our unwillingness to humbly submit to its spiritual purpose. Our unwillingness to humbly submit to its spiritual purpose. So, key thought today, could it be that the stress in our lives is not as much about the pain or the thorn, the thing that right now we wish would change relationally, physically, emotionally, uh, vocationally, that it's not the thorn, but it's our unwillingness to humbly submit to why God's allowing it in our lives. Um, my wife is not a huge fan of cats. We have a little dog, um, but she and so I. Lo- I know this is a bit twisted on my part, but when we're in a, someone else's home with a cat, I love to sit there and watch that cat just wind around my wife's legs, and she's like, ah, inside she's just like about to lose her mind. Okay, um, but cat, have you ever tried to pet a cat the wrong way, like from tail to head instead of head to tail? They don't like that, do they? It's kind of where we get the expression. I was rubbed the wrong way. Here's the thought today. Often we are bristling. We're resisting what God is allowing in our life. And that actually is the source of our greatest stress. What if instead of fighting it and resenting when God says no and we want him to say yes in in the aspect of freeing us, what if we yielded to what God's trying to do through that? I have found in my counseling, if I can convince first myself and then those I'm counseling, Stop resisting what God is trying to do through this weakness. That immediately lowers their stress level. Because not only they have the stress of the burden that's legitimate, they also have the stress of their resisting God, which, by the way, is a losing proposition, right? He's the guy, he's the one, he's the being who's keeping all things in motion. He's doing his sovereign will. For me to resist that is to up the stress level instead of to reduce it. And so we must yield to not just the pain and the thorn, but the purpose that is behind it.
Would you admit this morning where ongoing stress is largely your pride or mine being rubbed the wrong way without surrendering, listen, to the humbling collision between my gifts and my limitations? What God has called me to, what he's entrusted me with, and where that's not so easy. And I wish something was not there that is there. So first of all, we need proper perspective when we feel weak. Stress leaves us feeling weak. We need God to help us have the right perspective. All right, number two. Let's talk about number two, perspectives when we are doubtful. So stress makes us feel weak. Number two, it often causes us to doubt things about God, about ourselves, about our future. Uh, Doubts creep in. Um, This happened just yesterday with Shane, who was getting our slides together, and he said to me, do you have time for a quick call? He texts me, and I text back, um, he said, are you available? And I text back accidentally. I said, I am not available. I meant to say I am available. He's like, you're not available. You know, why don't, why'd you let me know that kind of like, I don't want to hear from you back off buddy. Okay. Um, have you ever sent a text and you, you, not only did you word something wrong, but you sent it to the wrong person. Yeah. We all can, you know, so maybe some of that's happened even in this room. I have now and then text one of our staff guys or our deacons. And I thought it was my wife. That leads to a very awkward next, hey, and, and usually it involves the word babe. I call my wife babe. So I've called my staff guys babe, my deacons babe, and they, when they see me, hey, babe, how you doing? You know, we have that little, but after you do that a few times, then, then you, you, like, you can't send a text. You're like frozen, and you keep, anal- is that to the right person? Did I say the right thing? And you just can't send it. Um, that happens in stressful seasons. One of the things that happens when we don't process stress regularly is it slowly erodes our confidence. Where we should have not the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, stress erodes that. Um, And so notice that God renews and strengthens the confidence of Paul, even while he still is dealing with this thorn in um, the flesh. So let's talk about a couple things quickly in this area, and then hopefully have a few minutes before we break to open for some questions, specifically if possible as it relates to this subject. Number one, biblically process doubt that leaves you needy. Biblically process in stressful seasons doubts that leave you feeling needy. And I would tell you there are two things that we need when we are stressed, and when that allows us to be doubtful or hesitant, that God clearly uh, provides for us. Look at verse 8. So Paul is given this thorn in the flesh. In verse 8, he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Have you ever had something, or maybe today you have something you're navigating that you wish was not in your life, or something that isn't that you wish that was, that it were there, and you've asked God, and you've asked God, and he does not respond the way you want? What's one of the first things you start to do? You start to doubt, right? His goodness even his presence, his plan, his purpose. And so Paul asked God three times. And notice now God's response in verse 9. And he said unto me, my grace is, here's the key word, my grace is sufficient for thee. Number one, we have a need for sufficiency. We have a need to go to something that is sufficient to meet the weakness and the need that we have in our life that's the result of this source of stress. And notice that God, instead of removing the problem, he he gives to him his grace. Now, this is key today, where it says, my grace is sufficient. The word sufficient that's found there in verse number 9 has this idea, 
adequate in the sense of providing contentment. So when you hear the word sufficient, if we're not careful, we think that's to fix our problems. When God says, my grace is sufficient, it is sufficient to help you have contentment in the midst of the thing that continues to bother and be a burden in your life. And so we see that God's answer is not the removal of the burden or the thorn. It is instead to offer to him his strength and his enabling grace. Um, Maybe this is represented in the room today, either by you or someone you care for. But are you familiar with a term called chronic, like a chronic illness? Um, Clinically speaking, typically chronic just means you've had symptoms that persist for three months or longer. Um, And that could be a myriad of things. Chronic can be something that's just a minor inconvenience to something that maybe even ultimately becomes a terminal uh, type of diagnosis. Um, Things like diabetes could be something as simple as like eczema, uh, arthritis, asthma, cancer, uh, different things that we, you know, Lyme disease, we could go on all kinds of, where they would be categorically listed as chronic. Um, We have in our church, um, I think there's four of them now, who have what is called long-haul COVID. And uh, one of those dear men, he was a law enforcement officer. He lost his job. He's now in disability. It has taken away respiratory function. Uh, It's greatly hindered him and several of our ladies in our church uh, as well. And so they meet, they encourage each other, but they they would categorically be called chronic. They would have a chronic condition. What do we do with that? When possibly this is something I'm going to have to have the rest of my life. It's something that's going to be a regular source of stress and a burden and a challenge. How do I process that in a way that pleases and honors the Lord? I don't know that life is as hard, the crises, I don't know if they're as hard as the drip, drip. The just kind of gnawing thing that just keeps persisting in our lives or those that we care for. I think actually the second often is a greater burden. And here's what I love. God's grace is sufficient for those kind of struggles. And the tendency is when the drip, drip keeps happening and we keep asking God and he does not reply the way we want, is we hold that against him or we hold out on him instead of availing ourselves of his sufficiency. The need positions us to be able to receive and to savor and to enjoy his provision at levels we otherwise could not do. And here's the thought today. Some of the things that stress us out the most or stress us out the most frequently are the access points to the sufficiency of God at levels that others do not know. It's just a change of your mindset. It's a change of how you view it. And Paul here, as we're about to see, he chose the second option. He chose to lean into the sufficiency of God. All right, notice the middle of verse 9, he goes on. So he says, My strength is made perfect in weakness, or it's brought to full maturation. Notice the end of verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, here's Paul's choice, despite the unanswered prayer, or at least not answered the way he would have preferred, most gladly, therefore, why rather, here's the word, glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Number two, a neediness for glory. We have a need for sufficiency that God provides for us when we're doubtful and when we're weak in our stressful seasons. Number two, he provides for us the need for glory. Um, The guys, this will probably resonate more than with you ladies, but Um, My dad's of the muscle car era, and he was a huge Dodge Charger guy, late 60s, early 70s models. And um, he wishes he still had those, by the way. Um, They uh, would have been a good investment. 
But have you ever watched guys, you know, uh, maybe this happens in this neck of the woods or at least used to, sitting at the stoplight, you know, or the stop, you know, and you're, you're, it's not just about getting off the line. It's the revving that happens before that, you know, and you kind of rumble. Have you ever seen somebody in like a, my generation be like a Chevette? You know, you don't see guys in Chevette sitting there revving. There are, remember the Yugos? Remember those? My dad always called them, you go and I stay. They were so small, two people couldn't get in them, you know. You go, I'll stay, or they didn't run so well. But you don't have, people don't rev something that's weak or inadequate. We revel in power, right? We glory in power. Paul here does the most unnatural thing. He glories in weakness. He, he revs, if you will. He glories in the fact he's inadequate, He's going to have to need and to glory in God. And so he revels in the need he has for the power of Christ. He boasts, notice at the end of verse 9, so in these infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest upon him. And so he had a need for this. He gloried in it because of what it was to produce in his life. We don't glory in the stress. We glory in what the stress allows us to avail ourselves of. This season allows me to welcome in and to receive and experience God's grace and provision at levels I otherwise would not know. It's a change in our mindset, a neediness for the glory of God. All right, verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions. Notice this word, in distresses. Key word. We're talking about stress today. In distresses, for Christ's sake, here Paul says, for when I am weak, then am I strong. And so he leans into all of this for Christ's sake. Um, Question for you today, a tough question for me as well. If it's truly about the glory of Christ, are we willing, if God chooses to get greater glory through our suffering than through our pleasure, are we willing to suffer? Is it about our comfort? Is it about our own reputation? Or is it about the glory of Jesus Christ? And I have found those that most impact me and move me are not those who have perfect lives. They're those who are suffering, those who are struggling, yet they choose to please the Lord. They choose to serve the Lord as we see Paul modeling. And so his choice was to do what he did for the sake of Jesus Christ. Here's the world's mindset. Chronic things, stressful things are meant to be endured. We just soldier through them. We just grit our teeth and we just, we just kind of slug our way through it. The Christian's mindset, we actually can enjoy them. We can enjoy not the thing, but what the thing avails us of, what it opens up doors to, which is the glory of God, the, the person of Jesus Christ being exalted in our lives. In fact, I have found when I am stressed and when I am weak and when I'm doubting, it uniquely allows me to tap into God's grace. Um, when things are perfect in my life, I don't tend to need God as much or think, think that I need God as much. It's in my weakness and in my brokenness that his grace is proven to be sufficient. Here's the thought, and we'll move to our last point today. One of the greatest reflections uh, or reductions of stress in your life will be when you finally choose to worship God in the place of stress, in the place of dysfunction and struggle that you choose to say, though he slay me. Yet why serve him? Though he allow this in my life, I will praise him. I will worship him. That's often what processes our stress most properly. There was a lady in uh, years gone by, uh, the wife of a Polish nobleman. Her biographer was writing a biography of her life. Her name was Emma. 
And she said this, she made magnificent bouquets out of the refusals of God. Magnificent bouquets out of the refusals of God. What do we do when God says no? What do we do when God says wait? What do we do when God allows things to persist in our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our lives, our families? May we praise him instead of resent him. All right, lastly, number two, biblically processed doubt that leaves you questioned. So obviously Paul being the apostle and yet having this thorn in the flesh left some question marks in the minds of others. And so we see him processing this in these last few verses that we'll look at today. Look at verse 11. He says, I'm become a fool in glorying. You've compelled me, you Corinthians, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. First of all, question in authority. So one of the challenges when we're stressed and that makes us weak and doubtful is that others start doubting us. Have you noticed that? Hey, you claim to be a follower of God. Why is your family broken? Well, why is your body not everything? Why is life not perfect for you, the healthy, wealthy, and wise? Um, and, and so it often leaves question marks in the minds of others when we have a persistent, chronic thing that continues in our lives. And so Paul confronts that here, even in the midst of his weakness. Um, I was in Israel a year and a half ago and was at Bethel or Bethel, where you have Jacob wrestling with God, right? What's the end of that encounter where Jacob has an interaction with God at a level it's hard to even process? He walks away with what? A limp. You know those who encounter God the most tend to be ones who walk with a limp? Um, We view that as the opposite. Man, look at that. They must be pleasing to God. They're so prosperous. They're so successful. And when that's not true in our lives, we begin to doubt our relationship with God or we let others to call into question uh, our standing with him. And so he had to process being questioned in his authority. And then the saddest one, verse 15, uh, this, this poignant verse, verse 15, Paul says to this difficult church in Corinth, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. He's questioned in his love. Um, his love is questioned. One of the tendencies when we're stressed out is when others question us or doubt us, we respond with everything but love. And I have found nothing reduces stress or helps me process it better than when I insist I'm going to love the people in my life. Even the ones who doubt me, the ones that question me, I'm going to give love to them. And so may we do that in our marriages, with our kids, with our neighbors, making sure that we're honoring the Lord in that. I want to give you a quick, uh, this would be a good book to read. It's not a perfect book, but it's called The Stressless Life. Uh, It's a book that came out about a year and a half ago by Vance Pittman. And it's not saying you won't have any stress. It's just saying you'll have less stress. So a stressless life. It allows you to reduce stress in your life. There's tons of scripture in it. Uh, It's a great resource that I found to be helpful. So it might be something either to read or to pass on to somebody in your life that you know is dealing with stress. All right, I want to show you one last picture, um, if we can, guys. This is a picture of, I visited my brother in London this past June. So we went there end of May, beginning of June last summer. And remember the Queen's Jubilee? I don't know if you guys are royal fans or haters in the room or not. But uh, we didn't realize that. We were just going. My brother was moving back to the States. We wanted to see his church plants. And uh, one of the things we got to do was to go to what are called the war rooms, which are under the streets of London, where Winston Churchill would have 
basically run the war, the battle for Britain. And this is the chair that he sat in, the literal chair. It, it was kind of weird because after World War II ended, they literally just vacated this, these spaces. Everything was still as it was in the 40s. Um, there was a little sketch of Hitler up in the corner of one of the maps. They're probably one of the, the folks keeping track of where all the tanks and boats were. had kind of just sketched that in the corner. It was like just walking back in time. But this chair, if you notice closely, you can see on the arms where his hands would have rested. Um, and if you look first at the left uh, arm there, um, this would have been, there were deeper gouges. He, he had a ring on his left finger, obviously he's a married man, and you could see those gouges. And then on the right arm, not quite as deep, but just the scratches. Can you imagine the stress that he was under? Literally, the survival of the human race and democracy. I mean, everything's in play. Everything's in the balance. The stress that he would have felt. We may not always have that level of stress in our lives. We may never have that level of stress. But we do have small little etchings we're regularly making as we process stress. And the key is, what are we sitting in? What are we grounded in that keeps us moored, that keeps us anchored uh, when we're in the midst of a stressful season. And largely what happens in the long term is what we do day to day with the stressors that God allows in our lives. I want to give you one last thought on stress and then we'll open it up for some discussion. Why do we not why do we want to process stress properly? What's the motivation? This is going to be key. I'll ask this question again in other areas. If the answer to the why is, I want to just be more comfortable, I want to just de-escalate things only for my own benefit, God's not going to get involved in that. It has to be about something bigger. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. You and I are literally, we are the ones communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? This has an evangelistic implication. We who claim to know Jesus, if we're not handling stress properly, that undercuts the message and the ministry of our church, our lives, and a lot of our road rage, a lot of our anger at work, a lot of things that our neighbors hear behind closed doors in our homes, that vibe, it, 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 it greatly hinders the gospel. So dealing with stress is not just so I feel less stressed. It's so that I can more accurately portray a robust gospel that has the power of God behind it. That's for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And like you think about this last statement, someone I was reading recently said this, God does not want a bunch of stressed out, worn out, done in and washed up children representing him in the world. He wants us to be fresher day by day, hour by hour. And I have found one of the things that's helped me in my own witnessing is when others are stressed about something in a way that's not what it should be, and I'm not, that gets their attention. And could it be the ones that we're trying to witness to that really where we need to start is not the issues in them. It's us getting where we need to be having the peace of God, the joy of God, his, his word and his spirit ruling and reigning in our lives now positions us to give to others that hope and that gospel. So I do think that's a key part of our witness is making sure that we're dealing with stress properly. When we're stressed out, we are hindering what God's trying to do, not just in us, but through us. And so this is a spiritual battle. The souls of men and women and young people around us are in the balance. We've got to deal with this issue. And we have to help others do the same. And I have found as well that often those who are stressed, if we start with their soul and their relationship with God, that tends to help them on the stress front as well. 
So if I can get stress in order in my own life, now I'm a better witness. Others hear of the gospel of Jesus, they respond, now we can deal with their stress as well. All around, this relationship with Jesus depends largely on how we deal with this issue. Paul started churches, he won souls, God used him greatly, but he had to figure this out. This incremental thorn in the flesh that every day he woke up and there it was again. And dealing, dealing with it in a way that allowed the grace of God to sustain him through uh, the situation. So here's the question, then we'll open it up for maybe a bit of discussion for a couple moments. Where, will you allow God to give you a biblical perspective on stress-induced weaknesses and stress-induced doubts? Letting God help you have the accurate and biblical perspective. All right, open up for a couple of questions and then we'll take a brief break. What's maybe something that prompts in your heart or mind as it relates to stress? If you want to ask about something else, that's fine as well. But what's maybe a, a question or something that's helping you? I'd love to learn from you as well. Um, this will be a conversational feel this weekend, so don't be bashful today. Um, what's maybe a question? None of you deal with stress in the room? It's just me? Um, maybe how you manage time, pain, uh, misunderstandings, doubts. How do you get the right perspective? Um, what's maybe a couple of questions? I do think while you're thinking there, because this usually happens, especially with the first session, uh, is a lot of it is how you manage the stressors in life. Um, I think sometimes we compound stress by how we manage our time and our task, just how we go through our rhythm. Um, and maybe this will help you, but I have found a lot of times it's reducing the things I'm doing or responsible for to the to an efficient level. And these, these steps have helped me eliminate things. So here's how I get down. I have to do this. First, eliminate anything I don't have to do. I think a lot of times we're wasting time doing things we shouldn't be doing. God's not led us to do. Simplifying. So I eliminate anything I can. Then I simplify the process. Am I doing this too complicated um, and, and trying to get it down to just its basic functions or needs? Thirdly, this has really helped me automate things. Like if you're paying a bill every month and it's the same amount, why are, you, why are you doing that manually every month? With the, for a lot of us, the technology we have access to, or it's something, it's always going to be the same decision. Why am I dealing with it every month or every time, just automating that? And then the last one would be delegate. Some of you parents, especially you moms in the room, your kids should be picking up some of the, the things that you did when they were three. They're now teenagers. We, I have two teenagers. Like delegate things that are overwhelming you that someone else can do. It's not because you're too good to do it. It's just something that they could help with. And I think sometimes we're overtaxed because we're not willing to let certain tasks go. They're not going to do it the way you do it probably, or they're going to at least need some follow-up on that. But we have to do that. So I found those to be very helpful. Eliminate anything I can, simplify it, automate it, and then delegate it. And it just gives me room to breathe and probably spend more time with the Lord or spend more time getting my thoughts in order. So that's a little hack that I found that's helped me with stress. Is, is I'm stressed. The stress is really the, the symptom, the root issue is I'm not managing my time properly, not managing my energy properly. Um, so I think we have to be honest about that. A lot of stress is self-induced. Um, not all of it, but I, we have more control of our lives than we think we do. There are 168 hours in a week, right? We all have the same 168 hours. Very few of those hours are controlled by other people. We like to blame factors or people. That's not to criticize. That's to give you hope. It can change. So we have to own that. 
Um, and I think a lot of our stress is either brought on or sustained by um, not addressing those issues. So that, that would be, I think, a key thing. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I can. Yep, absolutely. So humbled in gifting, humbled in gifting, and humbled in limitations. Humbled in gifting, humbled in limitations. And then here's the statement again that I gave. Much of the incremental stress in our lives is not the result of the thorn itself. Much of the incremental stress in our lives is not the result of the thorn itself, but our unwillingness to humbly submit to its spiritual purpose. So it's not the result of the thorn itself, but our, un, our unwillingness to humbly submit to its spiritual purpose. Is that good? All right, good. Anybody else on a, I know we were moving there. There's something else, be happy to give that to you or afterwards. All right, any other quick questions on that or thoughts on that? Stress management, things you're dealing with. I know you're just getting to know me. I'm getting to know you, so that's fine. Okay, let's, yes, go ahead. Yeah. That's a very good question. So we didn't have time to address that today, but have you ever read about astronauts? Like when they're in outer space, they're, they don't have gravity. Um, sometimes I'd like to be able to float around a room or kind of rise above, you know, whatever I'm dealing with but it's actually very hard on their bodies. Like some friction, some stress is actually good for our bodies. To have none is very hard on our bodies. It's very hard on our minds. So, so I, what I would say to that would be this. A healthy amount of stress would, first of all, am I in the center of God's will? Um, I'll just give you this example. I regularly feel phone calls. You know, Maybe this is outside of your normal you know, world, but where I'll have a pastor say, my wife has told me either I have to choose between our church and our ministry or our marriage. And I will pause, try to soak that moment in with them. And then I'll say, I think brother, there might be a third option. We know that marriage is God's will for your life, but could it be that it's not the ministry itself, but how you're doing the ministry? That's the issue. So I think my answer to that would be some of the stress, I think where we identify if it's the center of God's will and we're doing it the way God wants us to do it, in the spirit, aligned with the word, then whatever is a part of that, that's a good stress. It's when I honestly am not doing this the way God wants or I'm not in his will, that's where I'm allowing stress to come in that is not, should not and is not a part of his will for my life. So I think it comes back to letting the spirit lead us. Um, God will never fund or empower something that's not his will, but he will never call us to something that he will not enable us to deal with. And that includes all the stressors that go with it. That difficult person, that financial burden, that whatever physical challenge that goes with that. So that's a very good question. We're not today saying we're trying to avoid stress. We're trying to make sure we're where we should be with the Lord. And then as Paul did, submit to whatever stressors go with that. You have to count the cost, right? Um, but I would say this, everything has stress. I love the statement, choose your heart. It's hard to exercise. It's hard if you don't exercise. It's hard to eat the stuff that you hate eating and to not eat the things you want to eat. But it's hard if you eat only what you want to eat as well, right? Everything is hard. Everything has stress. So the key is, is this God's will? 
and then leaning into not just is this your will, but am I doing it the way you want me to do it? Um, I think that's where we get in trouble. We want to find out God's will, and then we just start running with it. And we're not letting his spirit guide us on how to go about doing that. Family, ministry, life. Um, So yeah, I think that's key as well. It's a great question. Okay, let's take about a 10-minute break. Uh, It's 11 o'clock now. We'll start back at 11.10. And uh, thank you for your attention today. Please come back, even though you're stuck with me. All right, we'll see you in a few minutes. 11.10. Thanks, guys.